This week on Physio Foundations, I'm talking to physiotherapist, triathlete, and physio educator, Dr. Sarah Ward, about her perspectives on the most important foundational knowledge and skills for a physiotherapist. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So this week I'm talking to Dr. Sarah Ward, PhD, physiotherapist, triathlete, physio educator, and we're going to have a really good conversation. And by the way, how cool are the guests I'm starting to get on here on the podcast? It's amazing. They're all free, all these conversations. All you need to do to say thanks for me um, for making all this content for you, if you're enjoying it, is sharing the episode with your friends or on social media and tagging me in at Periton Physio. So there's your call to action straight away before I forget to do it at the end. So Sarah has a Bachelor of Physio degree from the University of Otago, as well as postgrad qualifications in exercise rehabilitation. And she has a PhD in physiotherapy. And that's where we met. I met Sarah. We went through our PhD program together with Adam Bryant and others at the University of Melbourne. So I'll ask Sarah about her PhD in a minute. Um, and But the main reason I'm talking to Sarah today is the physio education side of her career. And so Sarah is a physio educator at the University of Auckland, and that's where we're going to start. So Sarah Ward. Hello, after a long time. Hello, long time, hello. Sarah. Welcome exactly. to Physio Foundations. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Luke. And it's great to finally be on the podcast. It's been a bit of a mission. Um, and nice to see you again after, what did we say, six, six and a half years? It's been a while. Oops. <laughs> and but this, like I've said many times, this is the perfect excuse, a conference, a podcast, any sort of excuse to meet up with people and maybe have couple of 20-minute sessions. We're going to do part one and part two here. So we've released them over two weeks. And and maybe we wouldn't spend 40 minutes talking about this stuff. We might talk about more how are you and talk about triathlons and things, but we can get into the weeds on some some topics as well, which would be really nice. So so triathlete, hey? I introduced you as a triathlete. Yeah. So you're a trail runner, triathlete. You've represented New Zealand, the age group world champs, which Mm, is amazing. And you're doing a triathlon tomorrow and you just checked your bike into tr- the transition and got on Zoom with me. Yes, literally. You've summed up my my day for me. Um, yep, just checked the bike in in the pouring rain in Taupo. Beautiful weather for a triathlon. Um, it's supposed to be equally grim tomorrow. Perfect. Good news is I'm not going to overheat and I'm not going to have heat stroke and I'm probably not going to get sunburnt. So that is a positive. Um yeah, slippery tri- on the track. Is it when yeah. when you're raining in the triathlon and the you're in the drops and you're on the triathlon yeah, bike? Is it, it a bit sketchy? It can be. Um, you're more likely to puncture, so you're going to okay. be a bit careful with like, tire pressures and some of the minutiae like that. Um, obviously, if the wind picks up, which it can do down here in Taupo, is picking your rim depth on your bike okay. um, so that your back wheel doesn't turn into a sail and end up across the road or in a ditch. Um, I don't have enough money for fancy wheels, so I'm just on my regular my regular road bike with some clip-on aero bars, nothing fancy, just out for a bit of a fun race with some friends and family tomorrow. It is fun. I, I love that sort of stuff, but not everyone <laughs> calls it fun, but no, I get you. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And it's such an experience being in a big race and family and friends. And It is. great. And Taupo is a really special place for that too, because the Ironman, the, so the full distance Ironman is run at the same time. 
and the entire town comes out in support and you've got aid stations at the far end of the run course where people are dressed up in outfits and they've got music going and they're cheering you on. And once the sun goes down for the Ironman athletes, out come the glow sticks. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. The 70.3 athletes then go back out onto course and are, are celebrating and supporting the, the full distance athletes to get through their day too. So it's a really special day uh, for, for triathlon. And uh, I think it's a really special day for anybody who comes down here for, for that event. So <laughs> there's so the good. advertising plug. Yeah. Come visit. The borders are now open. Um, yeah, so yeah. for international listeners, so I'm in Melbourne, Australia, and then Sarah's in New Zealand, so we're talking across the ditch, as we call it, mm. and Kiwis and Aussies, slightly different accent. If you're from Australia and New Zealand, you pick it straight away, but if you're not, you'll think we sound the same. Yeah, hopefully my so. accent isn't too horrible these days. It's a bit of a blend. It's <laughs> it, What else is in it? Um, a bit of British. Yeah. Um, occasionally a hint of American after spending time over there and then a heavy roll on the R's from Scottish parents. And then my research time in Dublin kind of doubled down on that too. (laughs) How interesting. Let's do, let's go straight into that. Your, your physio degree allowed you to travel all those places. And one of the themes Mm -hmm. of this podcast, one of the audiences is students, um, early career clinicians, experienced clinicians, and you can travel with a degree like that. So, so where have you, You've been all around the world have, with your yeah. degree. It's been it's been a, a real treat. And I think it's something that New Zealand and Australian physios, we're so well regarded because of our programs that we are educated under that for us, I think it's it's really quite easy to to travel because we don't face as many hurdles you know, compared to other physios trying to come into New Zealand and Australia. With registration and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, it's very easy for Kiwis and Australians with the, the oh, what's it called, the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, a couple of pages of of tick boxing, and we're registered in each other's countries. Um, I've been to the States, but that was more as a researcher because I didn't want to sit the national exams. <laughs> so I didn't practice as a physio over there. Um uh, it's taken me to the UK where I was a registered physio under the HCPC um, and I was an educator over there. So I was a lecturer. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah I was which a which university was that? Sorry. Oh, oh that's right. Yeah. Mm. I just tried to keep up, trying oh, to go through the, the history of Sarah's <laughs> travels. The running joke amongst friends and colleagues, I really just need a little homing beacon put on me and you open up a little app. And, oh, there she is. Yeah, trace uh, her around the world. Yeah, and it took me to Ireland too. Now, at the time why I was there, Ireland had only just started to create the regulations around the title physiotherapist and physical therapist. So that's only recently been a protected title, All which right. then brought in like more stringent registration through, oh gosh, Coru. I think it is C-O-R-U is their registration body. So, yeah, interesting times um, and very interesting experiences. If you're in the trenches studying at the moment physiotherapy mm. and you you think, oh, is it worth it? Yes, it is. Look what you can oh, do. Absolutely. What you can do. Such a good career. Yeah. Uh, time will tell. Mm. Breadth, I think, that you get in, a, in the short space of a physio degree it gives you so many more options than I ever envisaged when I started physio school. Um, you know, you go in going, I want to be the next all blacks physio. <laughs> that, that was it. And then you're, you're opened to 
you know, neuro rehab to mm. older person's health, acute care, your know, respiratory, cardio. And it's like, wow, okay, actually, this is a really broad degree, but we don't lack depth, right? So we get the depth and the breadth, I would say, in a physio degree, mm. which is extraordinary. Which means it's hard work and it's oh, full time. Yeah. Yeah. It was like being back in school. Uh, mm. Certainly at Otago, we started class um, pathology was 8 a.m., mm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and anatomy labs went until 6 p.m. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. When, when the student's doing your student evaluations and you're putting in things like there's a lot of work and uh, and it's really busy, yeah, 10-4, check. Yeah. Very aware but, of that. That's what you've signed up for. But but – Look at Sarah. Look what Sarah's done. Look how much fun she's having. It is so worth it. You can work in so many different areas. Yeah. So yeah. get it done. Study yeah. hard. Get through it. I'm absolutely like I, I still go back and go. Did I make the right decision? And every time I question that, I'm like, Yeah, no, I made the right decision. The the degree is so flexible, and there's so many opportunities. There's also business opportunities, mm. right? Like so, beyond working for someone, you can work for yourself. Or you can own a business and have people work for you eventually, which, you know, that's a massive win. Yeah. And there's lots of, I mean, within the within the public sectors and academia and the public health system, there's so many opportunities, leadership opportunities as well. So yeah. so much you yeah. can do. It's so much yeah. broader than you probably think when you start, unless you're very knowledgeable and you've known oh. a lot of people in the health industry, you probably, your eyes are going to open as you go through it. Yeah, like mm. I thought I knew what physio was when when I started, but absolutely it opened my eyes to all the different facets and all the ways that we can work with humans to achieve health outcomes. Mm. And it was, I think, refreshing to see actually it goes beyond just the musculoskeletal. I mean, I have my own biases as a musculoskeletal physio, um, but to go actually, you know, there's still a whole person in front of me. Yes, they might have a knee injury, but they might also have underlying asthma and things that stress mm. and work stresses, life stresses, breathing pattern changes and stuff that sort of go beyond that real niche and go, actually, it's a whole person that's attached to that knee that I'm treating. Mm. And whilst it might be taught by necessity in their mm. preclinical units in separate cardiothoracic and musculoskeletal mm. and neurological <laughs> units, that's really just to organise access to resources and there's doesn't resemble reality at all when you're on placement. Everybody, there's no musculoskeletal patient. I guess no. someone, someone with an ankle, simple ankle sprain, if that, there's no such thing as a simple ankle sprain, but someone no, comes in. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, as you've said clearly. <laughs> mm. So what, so there's sort of a segue there with, with what you've talked about, because you talk, you know, musculoskeletal physio, you've got post-grad training um, in, um, remind me, your actual degree? It was in. Uh, oh, that's a great question. Exercise rehabilitation. I think it's. I said it before. <laughs> yeah, diploma in exercise rehab. Yeah. So what, what sort of what led you? Go, go on. Oh, I was going to say it was like the precursor to clinical exercise physiology. Okay. Hmm. So you've got that sports, almost sports science. That's that exercise background. So what led you from there into your PhD? Because your PhD was your muscular mechanisms, and you were you were really looking at specific. Um, neuromuscular measurements of the human body. So without explaining your whole PhD, it was quite, yeah. it was oh. it was away from a clinical path. It was very sciencey as well. It was, yeah. I went down a very mechanistic route and that all stemmed from my clinical work where I was seeing 
so many patients with ACL injuries, so anterior cruciate ligament injuries, and then the subsequent reconstruction. And me and my patients, or my patients and I, were going down this rehabilitation journey. And I guess we were both getting frustrated of why why are they not rehabilitating as we both expected them to? Now, bear in mind, I was sort of on my first couple of years out of physio school here, so not super experienced with sort of everything that was going on. But, you know, we had this shared frustration of why aren't your muscles as strong as we would expect given the, you know, the strength and conditioning parameters we're operating in and literally throwing the bucket at these patients. So I started to really think of, okay, I have this question that I want to answer and me being me, i.e. a nerd, my natural inclination is to go, well, I'll do some research. (laughs) And, um, I just brought forward my retirement plan, which was my PhD. Okay. Uh, so I'm doing yeah. it now. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, use it now. Yeah. I might learn something. 40, I might use it now. Yep. 40 years earlier than expected. Um, and started talking to different researchers, you know, like potential supervisors around. I have these broad clinical questions, but they actually require a mechanistic study to understand. And that sort of landed me uh, with Adam. Um, at the so Adam Bright, associate yeah. professor Adam Bright, University of Melbourne. Hi, Adam. Yep. Hi, <laughs> we're back together. The gang's back. Um, and we initially were going to go down a really neuromuscular route, looking at you know, some of that steadiness and the biomechanics, which really interested me. Um, but here's where we're going to insert that postgraduate diploma uh, because I did that because uh, upskill clinically. Um, but also to get some good grades for a scholarship. But there was this paper I did, and it was called Movement Neuroscience by Professor Winston Bible. Huge plug here from my own department here at the University of Auckland. Um, Winston's course changed completely my way of thinking about the musculoskeletal system. Uh, and to understand it from the, the neuro perspective, so the brain and how the brain generates that signal for movement. And we looked at it primarily from a stroke perspective, um, which completely changed my thinking around stroke. And I wish I'd learned that as a a physio student, um, because I think I would have much better understanding of why we get muscular impairments post-stroke, but also how we could rehab them. But it got me thinking of if we see this motor or brain reorganization after a stroke that's contributing to muscle impairments, could we be seeing this after peripheral joint injuries? So ankle sprains, ACL ruptures, (laughs) lateral elbow pain, low back pain. And right around this time, there was, I'd say there's four or five researchers dotted around the world that we were obviously having very similar thought patterns because out popped a few of these real seminal papers in the area And I took this idea to Adam, and to his absolute credit, he was like, I've been thinking a similar project but don't have the expertise. If you want to run with it, run with it. And, yeah, so became my PhD project looking at sort of the neurophysiological underpinnings of muscle weakness uh, post-injury and post-surgery. 
So yeah, it was it was mm. really awesome. So in real simple terms, if somebody you're training someone as hard as you can, as you said before, for our international listeners, throwing the bucket at patients. I wrote that <laughs> one down. So in other yeah. words, yeah, that's good. Uh, training as hard as you can, throwing everything at, at them yeah. uh, in terms yeah. of trying to change their say they're doing some isokinetic um, strength testing of their quads and their, their torque time curve is just flat. It's just it's yeah. not getting or or even if you just do isometric testing. And they're just yeah. not there. Why? Yeah. And they've done yeah. all the work and you wanted to understand and unpick, I guess, the brains and spinal cord and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, that other more detailed yeah. aspects of neurophysiology. And I really liked how you linked that together with you, you were thinking about stroke and other conditions and how your PhD question came from uh, almost frustrating uh, scenarios in the clinic. Yes. It, it yeah. really came from the clinic. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a really clinically driven question because I thought it was all my fault that my patients weren't getting better. So I went about trying to basically gain knowledge and then the idea was maybe upskill if the, the knowledge was something that we could change how we practice physio. Um, not quite the answer I was hoping out of my PhD, um, but we got this very good understanding about why are we seeing prolonged, persisting muscle weakness, particularly in the quadriceps after ACL rupture and reconstruction in particular. And just having that knowledge that, hey, it wasn't me having a lack of skills or understanding. It really is these wholesale changes in the way the brain responds to the injury which then opens the next Pandora's box of how do you fix that in a clinic? How are you going now? Now you see so you're, you're working in the clinic. I am. Yeah, yeah, I am. And you're teaching. Yes. And you're doing some research. You're supervising PhD students and you're doing some of your own projects. So you're doing the singing, mm-hmm. dancing, acting trio. Oh yeah. The whole and you're busy. Plus oh. the endurance sports just on yeah. top of that. Basically. How are you going applying? Has it, has it changed what you do clinically? The PhD Um, learning, that is. I found it really difficult going back into clinical practice after my PhD and trying to reconcile what I knew with the fact that clinically in your regular clinical practice, you can't at that time, so 2016, 2017, we didn't have the technology that we have now to go, okay, here's how we're going to treat this in a clinical setting at point of care without a research lab. So I kind of shelved it um, and just turned it into opportunities for patient education um, so that those frustrations weren't as frustrating for both of us. And like, hey, it's going to take a really long time for your muscle strength to come back. It might not come back to where you thought it was or where it was prior to your injury. Here's why at a really high level. So they have a better expectation. Um, and I think it frames their rehab journey a lot better. Mm. So that's really how I used it. I didn't physically change anything except for maybe of really trying to nail quadriceps strengthening really early. Mm. Um, and, and then not forgetting about the hamstrings because the same thing happens with the hamstrings if you get a, a hamstring graft. Um, so not shying away from strengthening early. Um, and if you get your patients in pre-surgery, and just preparing them as much as you can. So that was really the only changes I made then. You already and, had those strength and conditioning principles. 
mm. because you came into your PhD with that. And, yeah. and I think the previous guests, um, Mick Hughes um, stands out as someone who said this, the more you learn, you don't necessarily get more complex. If you're doing it right, you might just go back to even more simple, basic stuff, but then yeah. just really know that I'm doing the right thing and, yeah. and things take time as well. They do. People they have definitely. come to you as an expert and, you know, you can – I guess anyone can provide the general explanation of those mechanisms, but if you're you've done you've got that depth of knowledge on those mechanisms, and yet the management is still the same management that the new grad should be doing, right? Yep. Go hard and yep. go early on the quads, and try to return restore as much quad strength and power as as possible early on to have a better function, quality of life, and everything else. Oh, absolutely, particularly in in clinical practice, right? Like we don't, certainly in New Zealand, we don't have access to fancy tools and technology because it costs too much. Um, so it's going back to those basic foundational principles around the strengthening and patient education so that you set that narrative up from the get-go. They understand that it's going to take time and they have to do the program. Um and you go on that journey together. And so, yeah, in that respect, you know, I don't do anything fancy. I haven't applied anything new in the last decade of clinical practice. And saying that since my PhD, there's been some really cool research that has come out around how can we address those neurophysiological changes. Um, and that's a lot of work from Dustin Grooms. Um, at Ohio University and if anyone has a chance to read his work I highly recommend it there's some really cool clinical applications if you can access the technology mm. um, so a nice little plug for Dusty there it's some great work <laughs> um, but yeah yeah no there, so there are ways now that we can look at that neurophysiological piece alongside our our basic foundational piece as well so the two go hand in hand. I don't think the technology should be done at the expense of the foundational stuff. Um, so although it's shiny and new, don't forget about the base of that pyramid. Yeah, that's so, such a good summary of, and you can apply, it doesn't have to be for someone rehabbing or helping someone with an ACL injury. You can apply oh, yeah. that, that, I guess, that um, philosophy across any area of healthcare yeah, yeah. I think you're going back to, and this is the theme of the podcast, foundations or fundamentals and just going back to that foundational important principle. Yeah, no, it's been it's been kind of cool to go like almost full circle and that realising that you're clinically my skills are the same or, you know, I'm more refined, but that's that, that reasoning and that education piece and how you interact with the patient and why you rationalize your choices for the rehab, I think changes um, because our understanding of most injuries to the body and most healthcare conditions have changed in the last decade from. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And with experience, you'd be faster to pick up on when people aren't going to be you know, the prognosis and when they aren't yeah. going to be improving when they need to be referred on and when things aren't fitting the pattern. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's that that experience definitely helps. And you, having those years of patterns ingrained into you so you can make a really educated 
guesstimate on someone's prognosis and you get a fairly quick idea whether they're deviating from Mm. that expected trajectory in terms of their rehabilitation. And I think that's where you can intervene faster. Mm. But I, I think a message for our more novice listeners is that it it just you have to be patient yourself, right? With with gaining that experience and and not getting frustrated, I guess, like I did in my first couple of years, and that knowing and being confident that with time and you know mentorship that that you will get to that place as well. Mm. I think it's really important. It That's why you up. work with experienced people and have those good mentors. Another theme of this podcast. Mm. So my next round of questions would be then how do you apply everything that you've learned there to your other, the third part of your working week, which is physio education. But to answer that, to, or to hear the answer to that question, listeners are going to have to wait to the next episode because <laughs> that's going to coming up in part two. Excellent. So we are doing this. We are doing this right now because it took ages for us to get to um, get together because we're yeah. very busy. We've finally got together and we're going to record two episodes instead of one. I feel like a band. We're going to make two albums. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone listening, you'll uh, hear from Sarah again next week. We're going to talk about the physio education side of her work. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for joining in on these conversations. Please connect with us. Sarah, how can people connect with you? You're on Twitter. I am. I'm terrible for remembering my um, actual username. I can put it in the show notes. doesn't matter. Yeah, I think it's at Sarah Ward underscore NZ. Yeah, so find Sarah there online and, and send her a message or reshare, share the episode with friends and anyone who'll be interested. And I, I found that chat really, um, really interesting, Sarah, because we went in the direction I wasn't expecting. You could Sorry. really see, no, very good. We could really see what you could do from graduating with a physio degree, an undergrad physio degree, and then layering on top of it additional experience, qualifications. You know, you've gone hard. You've gone all the way to PhD, but the the process is being just reflection and thinking and getting good mentoring from people and asking yeah. good questions and you can see where you can go and yeah. you, can, you can hear the passion you've still got for what you do, which yeah, is absolutely. really inspirational. I, I genuinely love. Uh, yeah, it's a hard, but I genuinely enjoy all aspects of what I do. But I think the most important thing you said there, Luke, was ask questions, mm. always question things ask questions of your career trajectory, ask questions about best practice, questions for upskilling, opportunities, training, observations. It's just there's nothing silly about asking questions. Mm. Yeah, if you don't ask, you don't know. So exactly. really good. You don't know what you don't know, so always yeah. ask questions. Excellent. Well, part two is coming up, so you can contact Sarah, you can contact me, and you've got all the details in the show notes. Let's leave it there. So until next time, until part two, this is Sarah Ward and Luke Perriton wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development, and lifelong learning.